Well, good morning. It is great to see you this morning. Is this on? It is, yeah. It is on. Well, as Matt said, I'm going to be speaking this morning on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to take a, a one-week break from our study of Colossians this week. Um, one of the reasons is we wanted to discuss this subject in preparation for our prayer and praise night on Wednesday this coming week. So we're going to look at what the Bible says this morning about the gifts of the Spirit. Just a few things I want to say up front. First of all, Scripture is not extensive about this subject. There's not a lot in the Scriptures about the gifts of the Spirit. And I want to say, as a wise friend once said to me, always start with what you know and move to what you don't know. It's a good place to go. Sometimes we wrestle with the things that we don't understand. It's been an inordinate amount of time when we can first of all look at what we do know and what we can see from Scripture. And the other comment I want to be clear about is because there are not many Scriptures, there's not that much in the Scriptures about the gifts of the Spirit, we hear a lot of anecdotal stories uh, about the use of gifts, uh, including, I could give you many stories about the gifts of the Spirit in my own life. Uh, and I don't doubt their authenticity. But I want to base this morning on what the Bible says, not just on anecdotal uh, evidence. As faithful continuationists, which I trust that we are, some of you may not know, did you know what that meant? Charismatics, if you want to, but continuationists. Those who really believe in the miraculous gifts are for today. We can so easy when we, when we, as continuationists, when we talk about the work of the Holy Spirit, immediately go off into talking about gifts. We think gifts. There's a, there's a kind of built-in system within charismatics that we talk about the gifts, we talk about the Holy Spirit, we go to the gifts. But I want us to understand that there is a broad work of the Holy Spirit. And in fact, if you remember a few weeks ago, we looked at the broad work of the Holy Spirit. And when I spoke on the broad work, I said that we would spend some time looking a little deeper into the gifts of the Spirit. Now, this is a subject that has caused much discussion and disagreement and sadly even division amongst the Church of Christ. There are many good gospel preaching churches that today do not believe in the miraculous gifts that are still available to us as believers. These Christians will call themselves cessationists. They believe the gifts of the Spirit, as the miraculous gifts that we're going to look at this morning, have ceased to be available to the church. However, in this church, we believe that the gifts have continued to be available for Christians today. And that is why we call ourselves continuationists. As opposed to cessationists who believe the gifts have ceased, we're continuationists that believe the gifts have continued. Now, some people use the term charismatics, and we're charismatics, but we use the term continuationist because um, there, there is broad, a charismatic uh, dimension, if you like, of the church is very broad, and particularly in areas of the world, there is, um, there is practice and belief that we would not necessarily go along with. However, we're grateful to God for all gospel-preaching churches, whether they call themselves cessationists, charismatics, or continuationists. So that's just the kind of upfront disclosure so we know where we're going this morning. So would you turn this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 
And we're going to read from verses 4 to 11. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 to 11. This is Paul writing to the Corinthian church. Now concerning spiritual gifts, sorry, I've gone the wrong one. Now there are varieties of gifts, sorry, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. To one is given through the spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Now Paul goes on in this chapter to uh, talk more about the, the, the gifts, but we haven't got time to go through all that this morning. But what I want us to look at this morning is the context. First of all, the context for the gifts of the Spirit. Then I want us to briefly look at the definition of the gifts, and then I want to draw into the use of the gifts and give some practical help of how we can uh, grow in this area of the spiritual gifts within our times together. So first of all, the context of the, of the gifts. Well, in actual fact, tw chapters 12, 13 and 14 are all concerned with this one subject. We often look into chapter 13 and see this, the, the, this often use of weddings, isn't it? Love is, love is. But Paul, is, is, this is part of this framework, this context for us understanding the spiritual gifts. So in chapter 12, we see the very heart and purpose of God in the use of the spiritual gifts. In verse 7, we've just read, Paul says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit, what for? The common good. Not for us primarily, but for the common good. And he goes on to say, all these gifts are empowered by God, who apportions them to each one individually as he wills. Paul also defines for us in this, we just read, some, some of what the spiritual gifts are. There are other, other gifts that Paul mentions, which we'll look at a bit later. Paul, in emphasising the gifts uh, uh, here, he's, he's saying it's not for us. It's for the common good. It's for others. And it's God who apportions them. Let me say as well, they're not, they're gifts of the Spirit. They're not rewards. They're not rewards they gifts to be used to continue and express the ministry of Christ until he returns. And he concludes this, concludes this chapter with the exhortation to seek the higher gifts. He means us to seek the gifts that bring the greatest benefit to others. So that's how he finishes, how he finishes 12. And then in 13, he gives an explanation of love which, without which spiritual gifts are worthless. That's why he's come into, we could, as I said earlier, we could see chapter 13 on its own, but it actually is part of this framework. It's because he's going to go back into 14 and talk more specifically about the gifts. Paul, in this chapter, takes time out from talking specifically about the gifts to warn us that sin causes us to prize uh, gifts and 
boasting gifts of value, particularly the more dramatic gifts. And he's saying they become worthless, worthless spiritual displays if they're not for our neighbour's good and they're not worked out in the context of love. The Corinthian worship was marked by a shameful and indecent actions. This church was full of jealousy, boasting, arrogance. He says love is not rude. And this chapter also calls for a response of love so that those who have received the gifts of the Spirit exercise them along with the fruit of the Spirit, which, as we know, include love, patience, kindness. These should always be in operation along with the gifts of the Spirit. And then, all in just understanding the context, then in chapter 14, Paul, having emphasised the need for love in the spiritual gifts, turns to address a specific problem in the church at Corinth relating to the church's improper use of speaking in tongues and prophecy. There are those today, as I said, who are cessationists. They believe that particularly these gifts serve to give authority to the original apostles and therefore unique to the early church and the apostolic era. Whereas others, including us, believe that these gifts, these gifts, particularly the speaking of tongues and prophecy, continue to operate in the church of Christ today. Therefore, it is important that we take heed of Paul's teaching and his warnings. And we don't just base our understanding on anecdotal evidence, things that we've heard, which I don't doubt. So secondly, I want us to look at this morning the definition of the gifts. We read the definition of the gifts that he gives in this portion of Scripture. To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. To another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by one Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another various kinds of tongues. To another the interpretation of tongues. Paul here gives us a list of nine gifts of the Spirit. In Romans 12, he refers to some other gifts, including prophecy, but he calls them gifts of grace, but they're the gifts of the Spirit. And they're different. And then at the end of this chapter, chapter at the end of chapter 12, he, gives some, he, he lists the gifts again, but he doesn't list the same gifts or, or in the same order as he did earlier. Now, I was brought up in a Pentecostal church, and I was taught, uh, faithfully taught about the gifts of the Spirit, and been taught the, these nine gifts, these nine gifts fall into three categories. There's the three revelation, the word of wisdom, word of knowledge, and discerning of spirits. There's three supernatural power gifts, healing, faith, and working of miracles. Three inspired utterances, tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy. Now, that's how I understood it for many years. But I don't see it as narrow as that. I see the gifts of the Spirit much wider than that. And here in 1 Corinthians uh, 12, Paul is explaining that there are varieties of gifts. There are varieties of gifts. But even though these are, there are varieties, they're all gifts that God empowers. And that is a variety of gifts, but not a variety of of spirit. So I want us to just briefly go through the, and just comment on the gifts of the Spirit that he actually says in this portion of Scripture. Because I think there's some things we need to 
be, be clear about, but we haven't got time to go into much detail of this. First of all, word of knowledge. What is, what is a word, the gift of a word of knowledge? Well, first of all, we need to understand it's a word of knowledge. It's not the gift of knowledge. It's a gift where the Holy Spirit reveals something to you that you had no natural ability of knowing. Now, I've experienced that many times. I mean, Alison was talking about counselling. I've experienced that in counselling so many times. When I'm sitting with someone, particularly somebody I've never met before, God just reveals something to you that causes you to ask a question. And they then say, why did you ask that question? It was a word of knowledge. And a word of wisdom. And this is a gift that is normally associated with the word of knowledge, where the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to know how to apply that word of knowledge. It's one thing having the knowledge, it's another thing, what do you do with it? How do you apply it? And in both cases, it's the term word of. Although in the ESV it says utterance, but in other translations it speaks of word of wisdom, word of knowledge. It's not wisdom, it's not knowledge, it's not that all of a sudden you have the gift of knowledge and you know all things, or all of a sudden you have the gift of wisdom and you have this wisdom of Solomon. No, it's not that. It's a word of in a given time. And then we have the word prophecy. And this would be a word, a scripture, energised by the Holy Spirit to someone else for the purposes of building them up. We're going to come back to that in a, a bit later. And faith, this is, this is a gift of faith given by the Holy Spirit for something beyond the normal levels, levels of faith that we as Christians have. So I was just thinking about that. Some of you know about George Muller and what he, he set up, all of faith. That would be, I would suggest, into this area of, of, of faith, a, a faith that is over and above the normal faith that we as Christians would have. Gifts of healing. Paul speaks about this gift in the plural. Different kinds of healing, given at appropriate times, that are again energised and empowered by the Spirit. It's not that the Holy Spirit suddenly gives you a gift of healing in a particular area that means that everyone with, with that particular sickness, you're, you're gifted to go around. So you, you, you've had the gift of... God has given, granted you a gift in a particular area of healing, uh, perhaps... a. Uh, uh, particular sickness or whatever, it doesn't mean that now you have that gift. You can go around and pray for everybody who has that sickness. And, and, and that's, it, it, it's a, a particular time, a particular situation that God has gifted, that given that gift for healing. Working of miracles. God still performs miracles. These are extraordinary events that are not easily explainable. Discerning of spirits. A gift of the spirit Enabling us to discern evil spirits, including people possessed by demons uh, that are working someone's life. The Holy Spirit reveals to us those, those evil spirits so that we, uh, th those people may be delivered. Number eight, different kinds of tongues. This is where the Holy Spirit gives us a supernatural ability to speak in a language that you wouldn't normally know. It's not a language that you know, it's an unintelligible language. Interpretation of tongues. This is a gift that enables someone to interpret a tongue that was spoken either by yourself or someone else. Now, of course, these, these definitions I've given are both broad uh, are very basic. We could, we could take a message on each one of them, but we don't have time this morning. Um, but this morning, I do want us to get, look into a little bit more clearly uh, the whole area of prophecy and tongues as we 
look at uh, chapter 14. You probably noticed as I went through those, those gifts, there can, be, there can be an overlap. There could be quite a considerable overlap of the gifts. Um, although I've given some explanation, uh, we don't need to get hung up over defining a particular gift. I believe, in essence, because all Christians are spirit-filled, that at appropriate times, all the gifts we see in Christ are available to us. Um, and I think Paul was trying to describe the various ways the Holy Spirit gives us and not constraining us, not necessarily constraining us to a definitive list. So I know I rattle through that, but uh, we'll move on to the use of the gifts. This is the area I really want us to focus on this morning. Let's read chapter 14. Let's read from 1 to 5. Paul says here, pursue love. He's coming out of this chapter of love from 13. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds it up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies, prophesies, is, uh, prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Paul, following on from his emphasis on, in chapter 13 on love, starts chapter 14 with an exhortation to pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts especially especially the gift of prophecy he turns his attention in this chapter to a very specific problem (coughs) that was present in the corinthian church namely the improper use of speaking in tongues Paul's concern was that Corinthians had an overemphasized importance of the gifts, especially the gift of tongues. That's why he wanted to say, I I speak in tongues more than all of you. It wasn't that Paul was trying to boast, but he he knew these people were boasting in the the use of tongues, and they were kind of using as, I'm more spiritual than you because I speak in tongues more than you. He was trying to address this boasting of what was going on in the church. So him, him saying that, um, he, he, he's trying to enter into this situation so that they would listen to him because he said he spoke more than them. So that impressed them. But he, he was concerned about the, the importance that they were placing on the gift of tongues when they came together as a church when they gathered together. And he wanted them to see that all the gifts operating in the church were governed and prioritised by all things done for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10.31 and also 1 Corinthians 10.33 to the advantage of many. You see, when the gifts are exercised without care for the good of others, we dishonour the Holy Spirit who is the provider of the gifts. I knew some of you may be around long enough, you may have seen that. Where the gifts have been used in such a way, they haven't really been for the good of others. They've been perhaps for the, for the promote oneself, promote a church, promote an organisation or whatever. Not primarily for the good of others. 
And as I said earlier, it's important we recognize that they are gifts and not rewards. If we are believers, if we're believers here, born again by the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Spirit is available to you. All the gifts of the Spirit are available to you. It doesn't mean to say you will receive them, but they are available for us to seek. All of us who have been born again by the Spirit of God. There is, there is no time limit. There's no, there's no kind of you have to do a course first before you can, you can receive the gifts. You haven't got to go through understanding Grace Church spiritual gifts before you kind of can, can, can start to exercise the gifts. There's no period of time where you have to earn or qualify to receive the gifts of the Spirit. And here Paul gives us an apostolic imperative. It's important we see this. This is not just, he's not just saying, you know, if, if you like, you can do this. He's saying it's an imperative to earnestly desire the gifts, especially prophecy. Because Paul's desire is not that we just have these gifts of kind of, like the scouts years ago, I don't know whether they still do it, but they used to pawn badges. You know, you, you, you pass something or other, you have a badge for this, that, and the other. It's not for that. It's not for that. His desire was for the gifts to benefit people. That's what his desire He was, his desire. Well, Jonathan came out this morning and shared with us this morning from the scriptures. Jonathan's desire in that was to benefit us for our good. Not, not for him, not to, to, to show his um, spirituality or whatever you might call it. And so because of that, Paul, Paul is addressing, addressing them in the whole area of tongues because un, t- prophecy, unlike tongues, tongues, he says, it speaks to God. It speaks mysteries, uh, not to men, but to God. And so Paul's concern in the church was that whatever the gift was coming, it was encouragement to the church. And prophecy, Paul says here, speaks of edification, encouragement, and comfort. And it is to the church. Whereas tongues speaks mysteries to God and edifies ourselves. It speaks praises to God that Paul says, if you're speaking in tongues, how can we say amen? Jonathan came out and read there. At the end, we could say, Amen, so be it. But we speak in tongues. We're speaking, we're speaking praise to God. That none, of us, none of us listening in, unless we have the gift of interpretation, know what those praises are. So we can't say Amen. He is concerned about unbelievers who are in the meeting and the adverse effect on them. <coughs> in fact, in verse 20, 28, he says, that if there's no one in our corporate worship to interpret, he says, keep silent. Keep silent. And so he comes back to the prophecy and he said, but the one who prophesies speaks to the people for their upbuilding, for their encouragement, for consolation, for comfort. Here Paul is outlining the very purpose of prophecy. It is to build up the church. It is to comfort the church. It's to encourage the church. Whereas tongues just does not do that unless it is interpreted. Although Paul is discouraging tongues in our corporate worship unless interpreted, it is not discouraging tongues in private or in gatherings that are just for believers. Let me make that clear. He's discouraging tongues uninterpreted in the corporate gathering. 
His prime concern there was for unbelievers coming in, thinking we're all crazy, we're all nuts. But he's not discouraging tongues. He says, I speak in tongues more than all. But I'd rather, I can't remember how many words, but he says a few words rather uh, in, in English, if you like. It wouldn't have been English, but um, than uh, uh, a thousand words in, in, in tongues. But intelligible words that people could understand. That was his concern. But he says that tongues privately, tongues in, in, in a place where, where it's all believers, yeah, that, that's fine. That's speaking mysteries to God. That's edifying your spirit. I have to say, I don't know what that means. And nobody's ever been able to explain it to me. And I read umpteen books and I can't get any answers on it. <laughs> And the scriptures don't tell me. So I don't know what, totally what that means. All I know is Paul says it. And the scriptures encourage it. So I'd encourage us in tongues. I would encourage us to seek the gift of tongues because it edifies us. The scripture says it edifies you. But it's not something that we use when we gather together unless it is interpreted. You know, when we talk about the prophetic gifts, I think... Uh, I think sometimes we talk about prophecy. Prophecy is one of those words that's a bit like tea. Um, if I say to you, I'm going to have tea, I could either mean I'm going to the back there and getting a cup of tea, or I'm going around Andy's house and we're going to have the tea because he will give sandwiches and cakes and a pot of tea. He, he, will, he will do the whole words. Don't Jenny, Jenny. Jenny more than Andy, really. I don't know why I said, I know why I said Andy. <laughs> It'll be Jenny. But it's that sort of word. It, it, can, it can mean a specific and it can mean something generic. And so prophecy is one of those things where we, in specific areas, we have already seen it, prophecy and comfort, edification, encouragement. But there is, in a sense, where the prophetic, prophetic gifts, including the gifts of revelation, i.e. words of knowledge or words of wisdom and the discerning of spirits, could also be in play. And we would say that's in prophecy. So it is possible for a prophetic word to come with some revelatory content. Now, I do think it's important that we don't get hung up about what the gift is. Was that a, a gift of a word of wisdom? What was it? Was it a prophecy? How do I define it? It's in that generic sense of prophecy where we're moving in the gifts of the Spirit and God is giving us words to say, utterances to say, that for the good of his people. I believe that what Paul is saying in his definition of the gifts is, is that as people filled with the Holy Spirit, we can expect to see the Holy Spirit working in a variety of ways in our lives. And as I said, we don't need to get hung up about this. I, I have cessationist friends who, when we talk about the gifts of the Spirit, and I might say we, we talk about prophecy, Jonathan coming out, we talk about prophecy, uh, they will say to me, well, in our church, you know, just if, if, if the Holy Spirit lays something on our hearts, and then we, we'll come to the front and share it, or we'll share it with somebody individually. That's the gift of the Spirit. We don't got to worry and get hung up about the terms. I mean, there are, there are certain gifts that sometimes we, the gift of tongues particularly gets a, uh, a little sticky 
But most of the other gifts, even my cessationist friends, actually believe in, would just term it differently. Now, I know for, for some of you at this point, you might be thinking, well, where in Pete's message is he going to get in a Spurgeon quote? Because Spurgeon is cessationist. He can't possibly get a Spurgeon quote into this message. Well, you're wrong. You're wrong. It's not a quote as such, but there are... Spurgeon was a cessationist. He, he was spoke against it, 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 about the gifts of the Spirit. But there are many, many recorded instances where Spurgeon, during his message, and I give one in particular, when he broke off from preaching and, and he pointed in a certain direction and he said, young man, better be careful, young man, <laughs> those gloves you are wearing have not been paid for. You've stolen them from your employer. And he just carried on. Now, I, 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 I can show you several. Okay, I'll just pick one. So, to me, that's Spurgeon moving in the gift of a word of knowledge. Probably a word of wisdom as well, telling them to go, go and deal, deal with them. And as I said, I've seen many of those. So I think we need to be careful that we don't get hung up on these things. But we see that we are spiritual people with gifts, with the Holy Spirit dwelling within us that will help us. I'm going to have to rush through because I'm going to run out of time. One final thing on this point. When we're talking about prophecy in the New Testament, we must not confuse it with prophecy in the Old Testament. Prophecy in the Old Testament was very different. Prophecy in the Old Testament was, was men of God who were carried along, as it were, by the very words of God. And one of the interesting things about the pro you'll be pleased about the prophecy in the Old Testament is not the same as the New, because prophecy in the Old Testament, if you got it wrong, you were stoned. If you prophecy in the New Testament... We don't, and you got it not quite right, we don't stone you. Is that all right? So you're okay on that. It's not the same. So when it comes to prophecy, I want to give some, some practical points to help us to consider uh, what, what may be going on inside us during a worship time or things that we need to be aware of. First thing is prophecy, we need to recognise prophecy has a subjective element to it. And although we're saved from the penalty of sin, and as Matt said last week, we're all saints, we've sung about it this morning, we still have sinful hearts that can affect our subjectivity. So recognise that we have within us sinful hearts, we can have biases, we can have our, our, our kind of hobby horses, and we need to recognise that that can come out through prophecy if we're not aware of checking our hearts. Secondly, the prophecy will not con contradict Scripture. It will not trump Scripture. It does not have the authority of Scripture. It could contain a revelatory aspect that will direct the word to, uh, will direct the word to specific people. So it could be, this is the word that God is bringing this morning, and I feel there are people in here who have experienced X, Y, Z. And so there's a revelatory aspect. But it will not contradict scripture. It may not specifically be scripture, but it will not contradict. And it doesn't trump the authority of scripture. There are some who will say, I've got a word of prophecy about a situation, therefore that's what 
we need to do as a church. That's what I need to do in my life. No, no. It, it, it does not trump. It doesn't have that authority. The Bible gives you that. You could weigh that and think about that if it helps. And prophecy is like all the gifts. It requires faith. Faith is at work in the gifts. And the gift of prophecy does not bring disorder. Very often the Holy Spirit stirs our hearts during, uh, during song worship. Perhaps as this morning as we've been singing, singing songs. Perhaps as a phrase that comes to you. That the Holy Spirit sort of lands on and <coughs> triggers some thoughts, triggers some appropriate scriptures. Something we've read. But the Holy Spirit, as Paul is really trying to address here, we don't have time because we've tried to address three chapters, um, he's concerned about order in the church. And if it's of God, it's most likely, I wouldn't want to say 100%, but most likely that something has come to you will be in the flow and the direction of the meeting. It's not something that's going to come left field. That's right, left field. Okay, it's not going to come left field. It's not going to suddenly come out of the blue and, 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 and redirect us as, as a body. There could be times when that's true, and if you feel that, you need to come and share that with one of the pastors. But Paul's aim is there will be order and worship. And he speaks of contributions being weighed. Now, our, our, our practice is to weigh before so that the person sharing will be encouraged. That's just our practice. Paul says, wait, afterwards, we prefer to do it that way. Fifthly, a prophecy is not going to be long. If God has laid something on your heart, uh, he's not going to lay on your heart in the middle of a worship service, worship time, a three-point sermon. He's not going to do that. He's going to draw you in. The Holy Spirit's going to draw us into something that, 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 that is specific for the good of the church as we, we witnessed this morning. Also, corrective or directive word. Sometimes people think I've got a corrective or directive word from God. Uh, should not be brought to the church unless it's weighed by the shepherds, the pastors who have responsibility for the flock under their care. And then finally in this area, be prepared to be wrong. Be prepared to stand up. I've heard people talk, I, I want to deal with this. I've heard people talk about the walk of shame. Can I, I, I want to I say, that's an ungodly expression. It's an ungodly expression. It's a walk of faith. And we must not use expressions like that because that can be off-putting. That can, that can cause someone who's already feeling quite... Uh, nervous about coming out of oh, a walk of shame. For me, it's a walk of faith, and for me, my respect for you increases immensely when you're prepared to stand out and go with something that you might feel, feel nervous about or, or concerned about. I don't think it's healthy for us as a church to talk about that. It's not, it's not whatsoever things are good. Um, and generally speaking, uh, if it's Matt or I, probably one of us at the front, generally speaking, we're not going to send you back. And we might send you back if we're singing the last verse of the last, last song and we think we've got to wrap up here. Um, we might. But, you know, don't, don't do that. 
cool. You know, it doesn't mean to say it's wrong, but it, it, it probably doesn't help. But, but pastorally, we want to encourage you. So we're, we're not going to send you back. You know, Matt might send me back or I might send him back because we've, we're, we're slightly different. But we want to encourage you. We're not going to sort of say, hey, go back to your seats unless, as I said, it come, sometimes it's happened when people come right at the end. Now, each Sunday, we have the opportunity to use the gifts of the Spirit for the common good, for the good of our brothers and sisters, particularly in the area of prophecy. And this coming Wednesday night, we have opportunity in our time of praise and our thanksgiving when the Holy Spirit is inhabiting our praise to be ready and willing to move in the gift of prophecy. It's not weird. It's not spooky. Somebody once talked about the supernatural. Said to Matt the other day, I believe it's naturally super. It's naturally super for Christians. Let's come. Let's come on, on, on Wednesday with faith. Let faith drive out the fear. Let us be focused on pleasing the audience of one. This is a church. Earnestly desire the gifts for the good of others. For us growing in maturity and to learn and grow in our use of the gifts. Let us be humble in our learning. And may all this be done for the glory of God and for the good of his people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have saved us. You've put your Holy Spirit within us. We were born again by your Spirit. We were regenerated by your Holy Spirit. And now, Lord, you've commissioned us to continue until Jesus returns to continue in the work of Christ. And Father, you've not left us without resources. You've given us your Holy Spirit and you've given us, you've made gifts available to us. Lord, I pray that as a church, we'll press into all of the gifts. The Lord, that we will see these gifts as gifts of grace that Paul speaks of. The Lord would help us to grow, to be more effective for the good of others. Not so that we can look at ourselves and see how much we've grown for us, but Lord, that we've grown in helping others. That we use the gifts for the common good, for the good of your church. That your church would be built up, your church would grow in maturity as a result of your gifts being in operation in our midst, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.